You see that wonderful little uh, picture there. <laughs> Gambling against God. And I, the reason why I chose this title is because I think to a certain degree many of us gamble our lives against God. God has given us a way to live our lives. And every time we disobey and willfully go our own direction, we're gambling. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. I wanted to look at the book of Joshua, and especially verse 8, because I believe that this has got a lot of admonition for you and I today. I mean, isn't it so wonderful how the Word of God is a living Word that is so relevant for us today, even though some of it was written thousands of years ago? I mean, God is good. Amen? In the book of Joshua, it belongs to a very special class of biblical books because it's named after its main character. Think about this. The first five books are not named after any particular character, but yet they talk about a lot of great characters in history. But here, Joshua starts the first of one of these great books that are named after their characters. And he has a wonderful message in it that we're going to look at today. But one of the things too with Joshua, many times we don't think about Joshua, do we? Who do we think about more than when you think about Joshua? You think more about Moses. Joshua, just like many people who follow a very prominent person, is sometimes forgot about. Think about this. There's been a movie that's been out lately that's captured a lot of attention, a lot of awards. The movie is called Lincoln. How many of you know who followed Lincoln? One does. <laughs> Two. Three. Good. Andrew Johnson. Okay, how many remember, maybe this is kind of some of my roots, being my mom from England, who remembers who followed Winston Churchill? Clement Attlee. Then, after Clement Attlee, Sir Winston Churchill, after he was knighted. <laughs> you know? But again, many times we forget because somebody else was so prominent, those who came in. But here, Philip uh, Keller wrote this, and I think he's, he's right in some regards. He's, he said, He, Joshua, has seldom been given the full credit he deserves as perhaps, listen to this, the greatest man of faith ever to set foot on the stage of human history. In fact, his entire brilliant career was a straightforward story of simply setting down one foot after another in quiet compliance with the commands of God. That's Joshua's life. He obeyed fully the Word of God. One conquest after another. Simply trusting. Joshua is not a perfect man. Nevertheless, obedience being the key to God, victory in God's service, Joshua is a wonderful, wonderful example for us to follow. And Joshua, the book of Joshua, is not just about him, but is about the conquest of Canaan. It's a transitional book. It's a transition from the patriarchal stage of where the nation of Israel is being called and formed and trained to the age of settled occupation in the promised land. And it's not until we get into the book of Joshua that the promise that God gave to Abraham many years before was fulfilled in some of its aspects. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, God says to Abraham, to your descendants I will give this land. And then more than 500 years has passed 
since this came true. Here we see also in verse 1, this is part of this bridge from the from the past to the new things that God is going to do. In Deuteronomy, Moses is the leader of the people. And Joshua here begins, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The death happened and now somebody has to be the successor. And who's that going to be? It's going to be Joshua that God is going to call and to train and to be the guide for the people. And he tells us in verses 2 and 3 what he wants them to do. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I have said to Moses. Now here he's telling me, he says, listen, you've got to get up and go possess it. I've already promised it. I've already said it's going to happen, but you've got to take it. Many of us want the blessings of God, but we're not willing to do anything to receive them. Well, I come to church, I put a check in the plate. What more do I need to do? That's many Christians' view of the Christian life. That's not what God is calling Joshua to do, or the children of Israel. Isn't it amazing? It's not Joshua who has to go, but the whole nation of Israel. It's not just the pastor and deacons who have to obey the Lord, but the whole body of Christ. That's what is. Listen, the pastor and the deacons, those spiritual leadership in Ephesians, Paul tells us, are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Guess who's supposed to be doing the work? Right? And so this is what God is telling him. Now the book of Joshua records this conquest and then the division of the land. It's great to see what God is going to do. But I want to take a look at some of these things. One of the first major points here in Joshua that you see right away, uh, you know, when you start studying out this book, is the first major point is that God's purposes do not change. God's purposes do not change. Look what we just read in verses 2 and 3. What did he say? Note what he said. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan and you and all the people to the land which I have given to them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. God is saying to Joshua what he said to Moses, which he actually said to Abraham. His purpose had not changed. His plan for the children of Israel had not changed. His plan and his purpose for the church has not changed. He says that the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen? Now, with that said, that does not mean that every single church will keep its doors and lights on. Doors open and lights on. There's some churches across this globe that have Ichabod written across the doorway, meaning the Spirit of God has departed. We've got to make sure that we keep our eyes focused and obey the Word and the will of God. That's the only way we will have success as we'll see. But here we see people change. All who were 20 years and over who came out of Egypt with Moses had passed in the desert. There's a new generation. And you know what? As I am starting to get a little bit older, Paula and I were driving yesterday and she goes, I like the gray in your hair. <laughs> you know, there, there was days when it was, there was no gray. 
And some of you are probably said, yeah, but at least you've got gray hair. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, listen, time passes. And as we start to get a little older, and we may be not as active, but we can still pray and God still has a plan and a purpose for us. Amen? Okay? I mean, if we shall, Lord shall tarry and He gives us breath, He's got a purpose for our lives. But it's harder sometimes when we watch the next generation coming in and watching them do things differently. Not necessarily wrong, but differently. Because don't forget, when we were that younger generation, we changed the face and the culture of the church. And our parents and grandparents didn't always like it. There's always going to be that dichotomy. There's always going to be that struggle in the church of the new generation coming in and making the church look something about where they're living and what's important and relevant to their life. That's how it is. I mean, again, think about this. The children of Israel, if you study out Exodus in Deuteronomy, you'll never find them pushing a piano or an organ across the desert. They didn't have them. You know what they had? Stringed instruments, percussion instruments. But wait, wait, wait. We can't have those in the church. Why? It's change. Things change. It's natural. It's not necessarily wrong. It's just different. As I'm teaching the, uh, the, the African nationals down in Portland, I'm teaching on missions and evangelism. And we're talking about church planters. And many times, church planters, as they go into a new setting, a new country, a new culture, guess what? They're the one that's different, not their culture. And as missionaries, as we were even told when we were over in Togo, the role of the missionary, the role of the church planter is not to change the culture, but to change the heart for God. When the hearts for God are changed, then the culture will change. And think about this. How many of you were born a Christian? I'm glad to see nobody's hand go up. <laughs> you had to come to a point where you recognize you're a sinner and Jesus Christ is a Savior and you need Him desperately. And you have to accept Him. And guess what? Then He starts the transformation in our lives, doesn't He? And then some of us get a little saved at different times of life and we bring all of this, for lack of better terms, baggage with us. And we're learning how to transform all of this into such a way that it brings honor and glory to God. How do we allow that baggage and do we allow that baggage to be transformed? Sometimes when somebody gets saved, we expect them to act you know, like a saint right away. Well, they are a saint. But it takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. Here we see there wasn't a whole lot of time in this transition. Moses has died. Something has to happen. You can't just stay here. 
Folks, let me tell you, you cannot just stay here. Now, I'm not saying you've got to leave the church. That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you cannot stay the same with your walk with God. Remember, it's a walk, not a sit. You've got to be transforming day by day into the image of Christ. And so here, the people are changing. The leadership is changing. And in the verses that we read this morning, verses 1 through 9, there are two paragraphs. The first, 1 through 5, uh, are the, talks about the nature of the book as a bridge. There is a transformation. Moses has died. Joshua, you're coming on to be the leader. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to arise and go over the Jordan. And then look at verse 5. I mean, this has, listen, this is the same promise and reality that God makes to us. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Amen? God promises He will not leave us nor forsake us. And we have resurrection power within us. God has given us a plan and a purpose for our lives and until we have fulfilled that, no one can stop us. You know who normally stops us from doing the work of God? Us, ourselves. Because we get more complacent or more concerned. We like our comfort zones. Hey, there's nothing wrong with our comfort zones unless they hinder us from doing what we're supposed to do. Again, I, I joke about it, but I have one. It's not actually the uh, lazy boy, but I do have a recliner that I like. In fact, the other day, uh, Friday, I was sitting in my recliner and I had Ollie on one side and Gwen, our dog, on the, on the footrest. I mean, it was great. Could life get any better? <laughs> you know? I mean, it was just wonderful. I, I enjoy that. But listen, we have to be about God's work, don't we? We all need times of rest. We all need hobbies. We all need these things to keep us going. But God tells us this promise in verse 5. And I ask you, do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? Because if we truly believe, as, as in Revelation, the two angels that came to be a witness, right? The two witnesses. They were eternal until they fulfilled the uh, purpose of God. And I believe that for the child of God, that we are eternal until we fulfill the work of God. That, In other words, is we're immortal, not eternal, immortal. We are eternal. <laughs> in fact, everybody's eternal. It just depends how you want your eternity, smoking or non-smoking. Listen. God's got a plan and a purpose for our lives. That's why He saves us and He leaves us here. He wants us to obey Him and walk with Him. And when we have it settled in our hearts and in our minds that God is for us, not against us, who can stand, right? And that... He will be with us every step of the way. That gives us the assurance to do what God has called us to do. When we have that settled, what strength and power, not on us, but through us, because it's God who's working in and through us. And again, he says over and over again, verse 6, Be strong 
and of good courage. That's where we see the second part of this paragraph is emphasizes the written word of God that Joshua was to obey as he took the place of succession. In some ways, these verses here, verses uh, 6 through 9, are the most important in the entire book because it's what Joshua obeyed them that he became a great biblical figure. It's only as we obey the written word of God that we can have quote-unquote success. It's only then that we truly grow in our stature and our maturity with the Lord. It's only then when we start making strides for the Lord, advancements for the kingdom of God. It's only as we obey the written word of God that God is pleased and God is glorified. These verses detail a special relationship that Joshua was to have with the written law of Moses. Isn't this... Think about this now. Listen. Okay? Starting in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. We'll just stop there for a minute. Guess what? Joshua had the written word of God. Isn't this, I mean, think about this. The first five books, the books of the law, for about 40 years, Moses had been writing it. And for that time, Joshua knew Moses personally. He was the assistant of Moses. He walked with Moses. He talked with Moses. He ate with Moses. He knew that Moses was a sinner. He knew that Moses was a man. He knew the strengths and the weaknesses of Moses. But yet at the death of Moses, he trusted that what Moses wrote was the Word of God itself. He didn't need hundreds of years to pass. He recognized this was of God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about it. If I wrote some letters or whatever, most of you are going to like, well, it's good stuff, but you know, it's not the written Word of God. Praise God that you have that discernment. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's, it's not bad stuff, maybe. But would you recognize it as the Word of God? Right away, right away, Joshua recognized that this person who was a sinner yet who trusted God and tried to obey God the best he could. What he was writing was from God himself and recognized the authority of the writings of Moses. So much so that he did not turn to the right or to the left. He obeyed it to its entirety. What would that look like for you and I? What would that look like if we did not turn to the right or to the left, but obeyed everything that is written in this? What would that look like in a lost and dying world? What would that do to the church of Jesus Christ? I think it would radically transform it. Because I do believe people are trying to live this out. I do believe people are trying to adhere to it, the children of God. But let's be honest, sometimes... Our sin nature, our flesh wins out, doesn't it? Let's be honest. 
God knows it already. But what would it look like? What would be written about us? Think about some of the great men and women of the Bible and think about their, what is known about them. Walked with God. A friend of God. You know, I mean, just amazing what people would say about us if we did exactly what this word tells us to do. And that's what we find with Joshua. Lewis Berry Schaefer said this, the biblical view of growth and acceptance of the canon is simply this. When it was given, God's people understood what it was. Right away, it had authority. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God and right away we understand the great authority that is in the Word of God. But the only, the only way it really has authority over us, in a sense, is when we obey it. Otherwise, we still try to take control of our lives. And that's when we are gambling. We're gambling. Joshua is also uh, a wonderful link here, or it's a uh, transition of, of the bridge where he is now leading and, and one of the wonderful things is too about this. Think about this. What do we have to obey? The written word of God. In the first five books, God spoke verbally to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You met with Moses on Mount Sinai. Now we do have that at the very beginning. God commanded Joshua... And then we see in chapter 5 that Joshua had a, a presence with the commander of the Lord's army. But what was it that Joshua had to do and obey? The written word of God. Not expecting to get any further revelation, but what was written, he had to obey. That makes him so much like you and I. If Joshua could obey the written word of God without the in full indwelling of the Spirit of God how much more so should we today be able to obey the written Word of God look I, I'm putting myself right in there I mean I, I'm sitting right there with you because this applies to me too okay I'm not saying you know uh, you guys need to do this but I'm okay no, I need to submit myself daily and sometimes moment by moment. We're, we're all in this together. And that's what made Joshua a wonderful leader. He was just a man who submit him, submitted himself to God. And that's what God wants for all of us. To submit ourselves, to, to just give ourselves. And then God gives Joshua this wonderful commission. But think about this as well. As I mentioned that Joshua walked with Moses, served with Moses, knew Moses intimately, and watched Moses you know, writing the Word, to some degree Joshua was already a student of the Word, understanding the Word. And you know what? Before he was even given his commission, he knew some of the Word. That's a great principle for anybody who inspires any type of leadership, especially spiritual leadership, 
be a student of the word first and foremost word of God tells us there should not be many teachers because those who teach a false gospel will be doubly condemned make sure that you want to teach because that's what God has called you to do make sure you lead because that's of God it, doesn't, it says in those who desire the office of a bishop or a deacon they desire a good thing but make sure that's the desire that God has placed into your heart not what you desire just for the notoriety or the reputation because with much that is given much is required Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says that we have to give an account for their souls this great responsibility great responsibility but here obviously Joshua was a student of the word in the student of the life of Moses he watched Moses Moses just didn't write the books and then live contrary. There's times he stumbled, just like anybody else. There's times that, you know, you strike the rock twice, <laughs> you know. I mean, he's seen that, all right? But he recognized that, hey, listen, in order for Moses to continue to have the favor of God upon his life, what did he have to do? He had to obey what God commanded. He had to even obey what he was writing. What is it that we want? Do we want the hand of God upon our lives and upon this church and upon this ministry? Then we need to obey the Word of God, don't we? If we want to be salt and light in this community, if we want to reach people with the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have to obey it and live it so people can see the reality of a transformed life. Let's not just talk a good job, but let's live it out for the glory of God. Amen? That's what God desires for us. So let's look at four quickly, four principles or four parts of the commission of Joshua. Looking at verse 7 and 8. Joshua was to know God's Word. Starting in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. Number one, Joshua was to know God's word. That is, he was to read it and to study it. If the law of Moses was to be Joshua's guide, which obviously it was, then Joshua would have to know what the law said. He'd have to be in the book on a regular basis. Well, you think, well, that's easy. He, he's, he only had five. We've got 66. <laughs> How many of you can quote all five books? No. He had to understand what was written in those five books. He had to know it. And so much so that he lived it out. It conformed his life. He had to know what it said. He had to understand God's Word so that he can fulfill what was written in it. Listen, the only way that you and I are going to be able to be obedient to God's Word is if we know what it says. And if only time that we come to church and, and open up our Bibles or the Pew Bible, if this is the only time that we open up God's Word and try to understand it, we are going to be deficient. 
We're not going to truly know what God's Word says. We're not going to be truly able to obey what God says. And we're going to miss out the blessings of God in our lives. We have to know God's Word. We have to take a regular diet of God's Word. I've said this before, especially New Year's, everybody makes all these resolutions. And what's the number one thing? We're going to lose weight. Gym memberships escalate through the roof. Everybody buys an exercise bike or an elliptical to be the wonderful, expensive clothes hanger. We have good intentions. Number, there's two real easy ways to lose weight, if you will. Eat more wisely and exercise more. There's two ways to truly grow and become mature in Christ. Feed more on the Word of God and exercise what it says. That's what's needed. That's what's needed. You need to know what it says in order to do it. Then Joshua is told here to talk about God's Word. Basically he says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Clearly Joshua was to talk about what he's reading, talk about what God's commanding, talk about what God has ordained for them as a people. That's what we need to do. There's a good friend of mine, and I've shared this many times, there was a good friend of ours when we were in Massachusetts and we went to church with Fred Smith. He, he was a retired painter. But even while he was a painter, I, just, I mean, you could not talk to Fred about any subject that in, in some way, shape, or form is going to turn to the Lord. I mean, you, you choose a subject and somehow you're going to end up talking about God. It didn't matter what it was. It's because Fred loved God so much and was in the Word so much that all he really wanted to talk about was God. You know, he was a great painter, great just tender spirit. When he actually retired from painting, he became a nursing home chaplain. He just loved people, loved the Word. But again, everything that he talked about, God got the preeminence. I'm not saying that we have to go around and every time we see somebody just quote Scripture at them. But God's principles and precepts in His Word should be so on our hearts and our minds that we cannot help but talk about the things of God. We have to. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And how will they know unless somebody is sent? You know, the person that you see in 7-Eleven, the, the clerk... You can go in there and you can bless them as you buy your gas or your Slurpee, whatever it is. What is it? Slushies, right? It is Slurpee, whatever. I don't drink them either. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's... Whatever. There's a, a gentleman, Wayne, who, who's uh, one of the clerks at Hannaford. That I see him every now and then. And, and the way that he remembers me is because our very first conversation, he was struggling with something. And I said, Wayne, listen to me. God never makes junk. 
There's no such thing as a second class citizen in God's economy. And that's how he remembered me. There's other people that we talk with. And again, that, that's, again, I wasn't quoting, quote, scripture at him, but biblical principles. That was an encouragement and a blessing to him that obviously he remembered. There's another lady, Donna, who, who's a friend of this guy, Roy Beck, who's a company that we've got our, our mugs and who's made our T-shirts for our trips and stuff, that every now and then when I see her in, in uh, Hannaford, oh, you've got to check out this website. It's some Christian website that she happened to see. You know, Again, she's encouraging me. Hopefully I'm encouraging her. You know, When I go and have, get my hair cut in Kilroy's, now again, not Christians, but I have wonderful opportunity to talk about the things of God. Again, I don't go in there and just try to thump them with the Bible, but I try to cultivate that, that ground and plant some seeds, maybe water some. Joshua, do not let the law of this book depart from your mouth. Folks, what do we what really what really do we have to talk about? Now again, I know we got jobs and things that you got to do and uh, but in reality, at some point, if the Lord shall tarry and he blesses you, you're going to retire. And somebody else is going to come in and take your place. And then we talk about the good old days. We reminisce. I was reminiscing a couple of weeks ago and found a website that there's a place down in Alabama that sells reconditioned used mo uh, postal Jeeps. <laughs> I said, told my kids, I said, well, you didn't allow me to go skydiving? You've got to buy me one of those now. <laughs> you, you know, but in reality, what people need to hear about is the things of God. You know, listen, if you're an engineer, you're a school teacher, you're a custodian, you're a cab driver, whatever it is, you know what you need first and foremost? The Lord. Because who gave you those skills and abilities and jobs? God. Who will guide you in understanding and wisdom and truth? God. Who will encourage your heart when things are going tough and things are going wrong? God. Who cares about your family and your finances and your health? God. And the list goes on. Who do we need to be talking about? God. Number three, Joshua is to meditate on God's word. He tells us, look at verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Meditation is a step beyond just mere knowledge of the scripture and mere talking about it. Meditation implies reasoning about God's word, deducing something from it. Meditation has the application as the goal. It, it's, it's what you've studied, apply it in its correct context. You meditate on it. Why? What is this verse really saying? When we, uh, last week when I did the uh, Sunday school class for Carl while they were away, we looked about, you know, studying the Word of God. And we looked at sometimes, what is God's Word truly saying? What does it mean? And how am I supposed to apply this in my life? 
What is the response I am supposed to have that God wants from this? When you meditate on God's Word, God didn't write it because He had nothing better to do. God wrote it because He wants to bless us and He wants us to have the best life that we can in relationship to Him and to one another. And He has given it to us in such a way so that we can read it and know it and then to do it. So when we meditate on God's Word, it's not like the Near East religions that just say, go to transcendental meditation where you just kind of empty your minds. No, instead God says, fill your minds with the Word of God. Listen, I'll tell you what, there's too many airheads already out there and when you open up your mind, you're going to be ready to get filled with a lot of junk. Okay? And Satan will move right in real quick. And you know what? I know because you know what? For the first half of my life, I did everything I could to destroy these brain cells that God has given me. Alright? I've been there. And if you open yourself up to the things of this world, their world will crowd that mind. Now I'm trying to live the next half of my life or however long God gives me is to get rid of that stuff and fill it with Christ. That's what God wants. Meditate on, okay God, I'm reading your word. What is it really saying? What do you require of me? Because the goal in reading God's Word is to what? To be conformed more to the image of Christ. Not so that we can say, I did my daily devotion. I read through the Bible in a year. Those are all good things. But how has it transformed you? What? You've got to transform? You mean I've got to do something differently? Yes, that's sanctification. That's what it means. And Joshua then, as we've just been saying, the number one thing, he was to obey it. That you may observe to do according to all that is in it. We to read it, study it, know it. We're to talk about it. We're to meditate upon it. We're to do it. We're to do it. All. All. We won't go there. But all, right? That is written in it. Not part of it. Not only the parts we like, but even the parts we don't like. We're to do it. You know, there's sometimes that I have to confront somebody about bad behavior, etc., or sin in their lives. I don't personally like to just confront people. That's not me. Most of you, if you know me, you know I like to laugh and have a good time. But I love people. And if I don't confront them, I'm not truly showing them love and I'm not being God's ambassador. We confront people in truth and in love, right? We have to do that because guess what? That's part of the whole counsel of God. We need to share the whole truth of God's Word. We need to obey the whole truth of God's Word. Not just the parts we like. If we don't like church discipline, okay, take out the sections of the Bible that talks about that. If you don't like about uh, you know your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit because I want to eat, drink, or whatever I want to do, let's take that out too. Pretty soon you're going to have the the front and the back 
Because there's something that people just don't like. We all have can pick and choose what it is. And pretty soon, oh, you mean I can marry an unbeliever? You mean I can sin for grace to abound even more? Let's pull all those things out. Pretty soon, what do you have left? You have a God that you've created. And you might as well join some of the other religions out there because that's what they do. We need to be Bereans. Search the Scripture daily to see if these things are so. But you know what? Don't stop there. Then do it. Then do it. For him to know to do right but doesn't do it to him it is counted as sin. Sin. Joshua was to do it. Be careful to obey all that the law of my servant Moses gave you to do. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Be careful to do everything written in it. It's not that we don't know what's right. But most of the time it's that we don't practice even what we already know. That's the problem. Most of us know right and wrong. It's just do we do it? Okay? Let's pray that we'll be like the man in Psalm 1. There's a homework assignment. Go home and read Psalm 1 and understand it. We've only got a couple of minutes, but listen. Let's look at this. What does the Lord say twice in, in verse 7 and then in verse 8? In verse 7, He says at the end that you may prosper wherever you go. In verse 8, He says, For then you... See this here? Then you will. God's already making it available. The only way that we will obtain what He's going to tell us now is when we obey. He says, Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. You want success? You want to be prosperous? You want to grow in the things of the Lord? You want to grow in your relationship with God? Then you need to get into God's Word. You need to talk about God's Word. You need to meditate on God's Word. You need to do God's Word. Then all these things. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and then all these things shall be added unto you. What things? The things that are written in the Word of God to do. To read, to obey, and do it. I was looking here, thinking about this study, and I went real quick onto the Webster's site, Webster Dictionary, and gambling is an act having an element of risk, something chancy, to play a game for money or property, to stake something on a contingency. That's why I hate the contingency fund. To take a chance. To be on an uh, to bet on an uncertain outcome. Too many people are playing game of chance, waging that their ways, their plans, their will will pay out a better dividend than God's. And I'm going to tell you what: you will never get better dividends than what God can give. You'll never receive a better retirement package than what God can afford you. God has so much in store for us as a people, as individuals. But let's not gamble by taking control of our lives, but allow God to have control of our lives. God wants so much more for you individually. He wants so much more for us as a church. Are we going to trust Him? Are we going to 
be found faithful? Are we going to be like Joshua? And let's not turn to the right or to the left, but let's stay the course. As we're talking even about the finances needed for the renovations. God says you want to be prosperous. You want to have success. Follow my word. Trust me. Now again, I'm not saying God's going to bring in all the money right away. It might take us a couple years even. But that will be God's plan, right? As long as we continue to walk and trust God to do what he can, only He can do. But there's a part. If we do what we're supposed to do, God will bless. Lord, thank you.